Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The FT. Welcome back to Energy Weekly with me, Sylvia Pfeiffer. On the show this week, local people in the south of England campaign for a new nuclear power station. People don't want to be reliant on imported Russian gas. People have concerns about whether renewables, particularly wind energy, is really going to meet the energy gap. People in my constituency would think it was absurd if we ended up importing more nuclear energy from France under the sea instead of producing it in Kent and Dungeness. Plans for wind turbines in the sea off the Normandy coast spark renewed opposition from anti-wind groups across Europe. It does happen that one of these zones is off one of the D-Day landing beaches. Now, if you talk to people in the wind energy industry, they will tell you that there will be mere pinpoints on the horizon and nobody will be able to see them. But having actually had a look at the maps, I think that's nice thinking, but it does look as though they are slightly closer to the coast, so I think you may be able to see them. And bumper results from the world's miners as high commodity prices boost earnings, but cost pressures are mounting. Everything from steel balls to the chemicals that make explosives to tires to trucks are either reaching critical shortage levels or having prices that reflect impending shortage levels. Let's start the show in the UK and nuclear power in Dungeness in Kent. As it stands, the two existing reactors at the plant are set to be decommissioned in 2018 with no plans for them to be replaced. However, many local people want a new power station in the area for the jobs and for the economic opportunity that one would create. Joining me in the studio is David Blair, the FT's energy correspondent. Earlier, David, you spoke to the Conservative MP for Folkestone and Hythe, Damien Collins. Yes, and I began by asking him how he gauged the state of local opinion in Dungeness over whether or not to build a new nuclear power station. When we had a public meeting in New Romney, we had over 200 residents come out to support the building of the power station. And often you hold those sorts of public meetings elsewhere in the country. You have a good number of people that are against building it, but that voice just wasn't really present. The community really understand the contribution that Dungeness brings to the local economy. It creates high school jobs in the hundreds and in the process of building a new power station in the thousands as well. And so people really can see the difference that makes to the local economy. And is that the principal reason why you think the local community are broadly supportive? I think it's the main reason, and I think in the current economic climate, people really appreciate inward investment from big employers and the difference that can make. It's not just people that work in the power station itself, but in other local businesses that are used by people that work in the power station. So that is important. There is a second issue as well, which is funding from private sources to support the building and maintenance of the sea defences along the Romney Marsh coast, particularly around Dungeness Point, which is vital to keeping the marsh safe and keeping the power station site safe. The Fukushima accident is still a very recent and strong memory. Did that have any impact on public opinion? On the whole, I didn't really see a discernible shift in public opinion. I think people ask the question, what does this mean for Dungeness? And the good thing about the process the government went through and the Whiteland report itself was, I think it gave people a degree of reassurance at the level of planning that the government undertakes when assessing the safety of a nuclear site. The flood defences around Dungeness are secure and sound, and the Whiteman report didn't change anyone's view on that. And Dungeness at the moment is not on the list of approved sites. What do you think the chances are that a new reactor will be built there? 
Well, Charles Hendry, the Energy Minister, has made clear that the door is still open. During the meetings we had with the department during the consultation on where the new power station should go, we really pressed Natural England very hard on their concerns about the impact of building a new power station on the protected habitats at Dungeness. They said that it is a challenging site, but it's not impossible to deliver. And the government have made clear that any energy company can come forward with a plan for how they could develop Dungeness. And should that meet the environmental tests on natural habitats, then it could go forward. The other issue is, if the government lost some of the other eight nuclear sites, if they couldn't be developed, could that bring Dungeness back into play? It would give the government more options to consider the national interest test, whereby some of the local environmental concerns for the habitats could be set aside if it was deemed to be overwhelmingly in the national interest. Public opinion locally may be in favour of a new power station, but public opinion nationally is more complex, as you know, and the divide is much more even. Are you concerned that public opinion nationally may swing against nuclear power and that may jeopardise the local campaign? I don't think it will. Um, I think there is a big national concern about energy security, uh, and that is something reflected in the views of uh, residents in my constituency as well. We need to have more energy produced at home. We got used to that with coal in the past and then naughty oil and gas. People don't want to be reliant on imported Russian gas. People have concerns about whether renewables, particularly wind energy, is really going to meet the energy gap. People in my constituency would think it was absurd if we ended up importing more nuclear energy from France under the sea instead of producing it in Kent at Dungeness. David, you've yourself just come back from Dungeness, and I just wondered whether their locals echoed the opinion of, of Damien Collins that they are very keen on nuclear power, and is it really all about the jobs and the, and the economy? Yes, uh, I spoke to an entirely uh, unscientific sample. I spoke to people essentially at random. And I have to say that uh, everyone I spoke to voiced the same view. They do want to see a new nuclear power station built at Dungeness. And the reason that's cited more often than anything else is the economic argument. They are concerned about jobs. That particular area of Kent is a relatively deprived area. The nuclear power station is by far and away the biggest local employer, and they don't want to lose it. And it sounded from Mr Collins's comments that... It is quite challenging for them to convince the government that they should get another uh, reactor. What, what do you think their chances are? The national policy statement, which was voted on by Parliament last month, listed eight sites, and Dungeness is not among them. Now, Dungeness was originally on the list of 11, but it was among the three that fell off. I would think their chances are uh, at best 50-50. It really would depend on one of the other eight sites dropping out uh, because at present uh, the government's plan does provide all the uh, generating capacity that the country will need from nuclear power. So it would need something to go wrong. But of course nuclear power programmes do have a long history of going wrong at various stages and if they do then Dungeness could step into the breach. But at the moment I would say the balance is probably unlikely. And lastly, is Dungeness the odd one out in the UK in terms of being very keen on nuclear power, in, in particular in light of the Japanese nuclear disaster? Well, here's the paradox, perhaps. The closer you get to a nuclear power station, the more people tend to be in favour of it. People who live closest to nuclear power stations do tend to be strongly in favour of retaining them and indeed building new ones. Nationally, the picture is a lot more mixed. Let me give you one example of an opinion poll taken immediately after Fukushima, so heavily influenced by Fukushima. That showed 35% in favour of building new nuclear power stations and 28% against, uh, with the remainder being don't knows. So the interesting thing there is how clearly, actually, 
a very large segment of the public nationally don't really have a strong view one way or the other. And what that means is that politicians are very much free to take their own decision on this. And the national political consensus in favour of building new nuclear power stations is very strong. Thank you. Let's move to France now, and more particularly the Normandy coast. Plans by the French government to build an array of wind turbines in the sea have sparked a fresh round of protests from anti-wind groups. But, say analysts, this is just the start. With EU climate targets so tough, numbers for wind turbines are just going to keep growing across Europe. In fact, predictions are that numbers will triple over the next 10 years. Now, joining me in the studio to discuss this is Polita Clark, the FT's environment correspondent. Polita, what's going on in the Normandy beaches? France, like most European countries, has quite ambitious renewable energy targets. And as part of that, the French government has decided to designate a range of areas off the northwest coast of the country as suitable areas for offshore wind development. And it does happen that one of these zones is off one of the uh, D-Day landing beaches. Now, if you talk to people at Vestas or other people in the wind energy industry, they will tell you that there will be mere pinpoints on the horizon and nobody will be able to see them. But having actually had a look at the maps the French government's put out myself, I think that's nice thinking, but it does look as though they are slightly closer to the coast, so I think you may be able to see them. In any case, it has excited a lot of World War II veterans associations, and I did speak to the head of one anti-wind group who said that he'd been talking to someone from the RAF and was threatening jokingly to bomb them if they decided to go ahead and build them. But, of course, the wider point here is that France and, indeed, um, many other countries throughout the region are going to have to build thousands more of these. In fact, when you look at the figures, it's really quite astonishing. I mean, you you consider it's taken 20 years to get 84 gigawatts installed. And now, over the next 10 years, when the European Wind Energy Association looks at the targets that we have for the next 10 years, they have calculated that figure, as you suggest, could triple to 230 gigawatts. So that suggests something like you know, 14 gigawatts have to be installed every year. So if you look at it in terms of turbine numbers, we've currently got about 70,000 windmills across Europe. You won't actually have to have 210,000 because the newer turbines are bigger and more powerful and you don't need quite as many. But still... You know, that means thousands more being built every every year. And interestingly, in France and the UK, really quite strong centres of opposition to this. And we're actually seeing the number of successful permit applications fall off in some parts of the UK in particular. And a lot of people in the industry say that, in addition, that anti-wind groups are better funded. They're actually taking cases to court even when they've received final approvals. So if that's going to go on, it makes it that much more difficult for these countries that haven't been as strong as, say, Germany and Spain to catch up. Thank you. And to our final topic for today, we're in the midst of the second quarter earnings season for the mining industry. Extrata, the Anglo-Swiss miner, saw revenues jump by almost 25% in the second quarter boosted by higher commodity prices. But Mick Davis, its chief executive, warned about the threat of hyperinflation as cost pressures mount on the industry. Joining me in the studio is FT mining correspondent William McNamara. Will, you spoke to Mick Davis yesterday. Obviously very good results from Extrata, but but how concerned or just how concerned is, is Davis about cost pressures on the industry and it, are all the pressures coming from higher prices or is there something else going on that, that's, that's increasing costs? Mick Davis at Extrata probably shares the views of CEOs in his position across the industry that the major blot 
on this bumper earnings season for the big multinational miners is rapidly escalating costs. He used the word hyperinflation specifically to talk about one of their biggest capital projects, a now $5 billion project on a very remote and impoverished island in Australasia. But that phrase he made clear, it's not too much of an exaggeration to use that phrase across the breadth of the global mining industry where everything from steel balls to the chemicals that make explosives to tires to trucks are either reaching critical shortage levels or having prices that reflect impending shortage levels. Is this the only challenge facing the industry? We've been reading quite a bit about strikes going on in various places. There's a couple. To start off, it's sort of hard to argue with the the miners' extreme profitability. They're abnormally profitable, um, approaching the same levels on average that they were in the golden years, 07, 08, leading up to the crisis. But there are corollary threats that always tend to happen when profitability is so high. The first of those is cost pressures. The second is worker activism. And you're seeing that almost pandemically across the major mining countries right now. The most high-profile strike happening is at Escondida, the world's biggest copper mine in Chile. BHP Billiton, um, that typically has pretty good labor relations, has been struggling for almost two weeks now to resolve a strike with workers that it claims is illegal. It's, it's not so much a threat now. It's more a threat of sort of sign of things to come. If this goes on for a month, six weeks, if BHP doesn't look past the illegality of the strike and strike a deal, you could be looking at a very material impact on copper supplies this year. Just come back to Extrata. I think the company typically makes 60% of its profit in the second half of the year. What are people expecting in the second half of the year, given the cost pressures the company's under? The consensus view is that the second half will be stronger than the first half and that these cost pressures will be a serious threat, but in the grand scheme of things, more like a niggling irritant. I mean, you're looking at full-year net profits as high as $10 billion mark, if you can generalize. That's larger than the GDPs of a lot of the countries that these mining companies operate in. Thank you. And that's it for this week. My thanks to guest Damien Collins and David Blair, Polita Clark, and William McNamara in the studio in London. Energy Weekly is produced by LJ Filotrani. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.